Dear Diary, Another full moon has passed, and I write to find myself in good enough spirits. My mission remains the same, to watch a movie that Will Ashton, my fiercest rival, will actually enjoy, unironically. The journey has been nearly impossible. Many lives have been lost. I've begun to lose track of the body count. All in service of a goal I put upon myself too long ago to remember. To find a way, any way, to bring a film to Will Ashton that he will feel strongly about one way or another. Oi, you there, film critic boy. Out you go. We should still be hours away, Sergeant. Blasted film critics. To you, everything should feel like 90 minutes, eh? General told us to stop right here. I'm just following orders. Here, this is just some hipster bar downtown. I didn't take the general for a millennial. He's right inside if you want to talk to him. Just do well not to bring up those blasted indie movies of yours, eh? He's got enough of his mind just trying to fight this war. General Public, it's me. A film critic you hired for this suicide mission of yours. So what? You part some kind of suicide pod cast? Maybe one day, General Public. <sighs> what are we doing here? <clears throat> Sergeant Tumblr tells me you've been asking around about movie theaters. General, they, they told us not to speak of such history once we crossed the border. Why do you think I arranged for us to speak in this noisy dive? Look here, critic. I don't know your reasons for digging up rumors about the past that most people in this godforsaken wasteland have wisely chosen to put behind them. But by God, if Lord Netflix finds out that someone in my ranks is fishing around for information about movie theaters, it won't just be my head, but the head of every single soldier in my company. You understand? I do, General Public. But I hope you understand that I can't just turn my back on the one thing that could save my friend and colleague, Will Ashton, from having to see every movie from this point forward on an eight-year-old laptop screen in his local library. That's not cinema, General. That's hell. General, General, we got a problem. A gang of rogue raiders made it over Paramount Plus Mountain and snuck behind our lines. They're looking for him, the critic. Me? I don't have anything they could possibly want. I'm all out of Bitcoin. Critic, what in God's name did you review? Nothing. Nothing at all. I just... Well, I, I did do a social media reaction for Alita Battle Angel. Oi, you moron! What did you say? I, I said I liked it. But, you know, maybe I didn't like it as much on the second watch. God help us, Sergeant. Ready the block buttons. I want those cannons set to mute and get Jack Dorsey on the phone. General, he, you know he won't do anything. That's an order, Sergeant. Critic, I need your help. Hey, look, I'm not in this for your revolution, General. Be that as it may, we're in this mess because of your loose letterbox. I need you to take this and run as far away from this metropolitan area as you can. General, what in Roger Ebert's name is this? It's a map, Critic. To the last movie theater. To be continued.
Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, chief editor of Cinemaholics, critic for Awards Watch, and I would do anything to spend a weekend in Greece right now. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and I wonder why he's carrying around a big box of rats. It's Will Ashton. Hi there. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com, including written reviews and other bonus content. You can write into the show anytime by sending us an email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Definitely let us know what's on your mind. And if you'd like to support this show, help us keep the fun going, please head on over to patreon.com slash cinemaholics. We also have Cinemaholics merch where you can purchase all kinds of fun stuff like hoodies, mugs, t-shirts, and shot glasses. Links to everything I just mentioned, including our social media, all that fun stuff. They're all in the show notes. This week on the show, we have a few movies we're going to be getting into. We have mainly indie movies, but also a Netflix musical. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about the Sebastian Stan and Denise Goff romance movie Monday, a vampire scream queen return called Jacob's Wife. And we'll finish the show with a new Netflix hand-drawn animated film, a musical called Arlo the Alligator Boy. So lots coming up. But first, off topics. Will Ashton, are you excited about the Oscars? Uh, yeah, I think so. How do you, how are you planning? We haven't talked about this yet. How are you planning to, uh, check out the ceremony? Are you watching it with your family? What are you going to do? Yeah. I usually watch with my family. We make a little thing of it. Not like a big to do, but we have like, you know, a little bit of snacks and we watch it. I'm the only one that really has an invested care in the <laughs> Oscars and who wins and whatnot. Um, my parents, I think they have kind of fleeting interest in it, but they, you know, it's something nice to look forward to. And, and I certainly enjoy it usually. I mean... I guess in recent years, I haven't really enjoyed the ceremony as much because it's kind of haphazard as far as like not having a host. And it's just kind of like impromptu skits that they try to incorporate with different various celebrities. And those are very sure. hit and miss. Um, yeah, hot dog cannons. And yeah, I don't even remember that. The main thing I remember was the um, uh, James Corden, uh, Rebel Wilson thing where they were making fun of cats like two months after it came out. Oh, yeah, that was funny. And they were like making fun of the animators, like the one thing everyone agreed to like, well, you know, like, you know, like they, they really tried, like they were overworked and all this stuff. And it's just like, let's just throw them under the bus. Exactly. No, I, I was referring to when like they went into like wrinkle in time, like interrupted the movie and just like started throwing stuff at the audience members. Or oh, the time, yeah. They took like a bunch of people from across the theater and like walked them through the ceremony for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of wondering if that anyone was just like. Can we can we go back to finishing uh, Wrinkle in Time? I mean, yeah. I guess nobody was really like super invested in that movie, to be fair. But I mean, I'm sure somebody would. It would. It's a good thing it wasn't like Avengers: Infinity War or something. Yeah, would have been really. <laughs> yeah. No thanks. I'm just gonna keep watching. Yeah. This movie's long enough. <laughs> yeah, because that was actually when Jimmy Kimball hosted, right? That was um like the last so. year he hosted, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and they've been without a host, and yeah, I I I like the Oscars. We talk about it pretty much every year here, and. Yeah. One thing we did last year that was a lot of fun, and we're doing it again this year, we're going to be doing a special bonus episode about the Oscars this week, and it's if we picked the winners. So it's the same format as Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel when they would basically just go through most of most of the categories, if not all of them, Yeah. and just stick to like, hey, if we pick the winners, who, here's who it would be. It's not going to be a predictions thing. Right. You know, I mean, we might say, eh, I think this is going to win, but right. I find that stuff that doesn't age super well. It does not all. because no one, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone really cares who we think will win, but it won't matter in a week after we, afterwards because like, you know, the Oscars are going to come out and whoever wins, wins. It doesn't matter who we think is going to win. So exactly. better just to 
voice our opinions, which are timeless. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's fun to kind of just go through the categories in a more specific way. We already did our favorite movies of the year episode, so that's, you know, a more comprehensive look at the year in film. But yeah. this is fun because we get to be a little bit more specific, a little bit more of like, here's why I think this music should win and all that. And this I find movie, that, mean, that thing kind of fun. Hmm? You mean this what this movie should win? You said music. Well, yeah, I was thinking like music from the movie should win. You know? Oh, I see. I, I got you. I got yeah. you. I wasn't thinking like it was like the Grammys all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, yeah, there are a couple music categories but I, i'm sure we're going to discuss this like this year's like best original song category oof it's it's uh not strong hmm. you know to be totally honest i have been totally avoiding oscar stuff like i haven't even looked at the categories or the nominations or anything like i i just yeah. when the news broke i didn't look at it i've heard obviously a lot of the stuff i've you know I, I I know most things that got nominated at this point, but I haven't actually gone through it. And I don't know why. I just I'm not as interested this year for some reason. Like, I just don't really care as much. I mean, I'm going to like once we do our if we pick the winners thing. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's because like it's a pandemic and I'm just, you know, it feels kind of weird to be like caring about this kind of thing at the moment when I so much stuff is going on that's i mean it's not 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 to make anybody feel bad if they are into it or anything it's just you know right. i'm not in the mood i guess i guess i mean i don't think this year's categories are as strong as some other years because there's a limited number of films they could choose from but there are some categories i have some investment in or like some emotional investment i guess or like some care in in terms of like what wins or what could win um this year i'm not i don't think i'll be able to catch everything before we do our bonus episode but i've never actually watched every single movie that's been nominated for an oscar in a given year and i'm going to try to do that this year because i want it to be like kind of like like you're saying like like there's not as, there aren't as many stakes this year so i kind of want to make it a little bit more interesting for me to actually have an opinion on every category and so far i'm pretty close like i still have um a few short films to catch and i have like maybe like four or five feature films that i'm trying to do but for the most part i've caught all like the major movies and stuff i think the big one for you still is the uh the father right right like which is one yeah which is currently 20 bucks to rent which i think is a little a little silly i mean you know we've we've covered some films that were 20 bucks to rent and that's fine like we're like we're doing a review but i i'm hoping the price goes down at some point but i don't know what the plan is there that's tough yeah i mean that movie like we, we weren't able to get a screener you know we weren't able to catch it at the theater it's it's pretty ridiculous but hopefully you'll be able to catch that because i mean <laughs> it's a pretty major movie yeah i mean it's on me for best picture and um i guess anthony hopkins is a uh has a decent chance of winning best actor i i I have to assume that chadwick boseman's going to win but who knows that's that's the conventional wisdom but hey like we said in a week it's all going to be moot right so yeah, yeah that, that's going to be coming later in this week also planning to do another bonus episode this week for a show i've been watching called shadow and bone on netflix it comes out on the 23rd i think and i'll say real quick love the show i'm not allowed to really review it or anything quite yet but currently planning to do a bonus episode with alicia grouso about that show she's a big fan of the show and the books so we're going to be talking about the first season definitely looking forward to that convo it's definitely uh, i've been craving like some fun you know tv fantasy that is like not like game of thrones necessarily but something that's like more that's big and uh, ambitious you know I, I feel like i haven't really gotten something that satisfying in that genre since maybe the witcher and even then like the witcher has a lot of issues as a show even though i'm a fan so shadow and bone though uh, i can't wait to talk more about that later in the week 
Now, real quick, we we do have one other movie we wanted to mention before we do the full-length reviews. And this is a movie that came out at Sundance this year. It's called In the Earth. It's the latest Ben Wheatley film. And we were actually considering doing a review for it. But the problem is we saw it in January yep. and neither of us like liked it that much. <laughs> I enjoyed so, it. I, I mean, mean, I say yeah. liked it that much, sure. you know, like I, I, my thing with it is I don't remember it well enough. Sure. I'd have to rewatch it. I don't have an interest in rewatching yeah. it. Right. Um, and it's also kind of hard to rewatch at the moment, isn't it? Because it's being released by Neon mm-hmm. on, uh, I think, I think this week. They were originally yeah. going to release it April 30th, and they did a little early, I think, because like a lot of things in April got switched around between Mortal yeah. Kombat and some uh, musical chairs with these release dates for some reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I don't remember it super well. And, you know, it, now that it's kind of like coming out, I think it's like limited theaters, maybe virtual cinema. I think I'm so. actually not sure. I believe it's only theaters for now. There might be digital screeners for select critics, but um, I don't exactly know what the um, the theatrical rollout is outside or what the rollout is outside of theaters. I mean, it's tricky because it's it's UK and United States around the same time, and uh, right. because it's a it's a co production between the two countries. So, but like I said, it's neon, and I know that uh, a friend of mine really loved this film. I didn't like it much. We want to do a mini review, just kind of like vaguely reflect on it. Yeah. Uh, starting with you, I mean, we don't have to go through the synopsis super deeply, but how would, how would you describe it? Well, this is the movie that Ben Wheatley made, um, I guess, kind of his in-between film. Like, he he has a, a few kind of blockbuster projects in the works. Like, I think he's, like, attached to, like, Tomb Raider 2 and, like, The Meg 2 and, like, a few other things. Um, but when the pandemic happened, he felt inspired to write this sort of a post-apocalyptic, um, uh, like, sort of like a mix between, like, Annihilation and, like, something kind of, like, folklore-ish horror kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's combining like science and like folklore, supernatural. You know, yeah. like there, there's a few movies like this. There's a I think a John Carpenter movie that kind of gets in this territory. But yeah, yeah, it's like it's sort of like a man versus nature story, but also like a man versus a supernatural. And um, I don't know. I I personally enjoyed it. I think it takes a little bit to get going. Um, I, it's a lot of setup. And I'm not quite sure if that was because of the limitations of making a movie during the pandemic and because it relies primarily on two actors and two characters. So I think the performances are pretty good by and large, but um, I don't think the characters themselves that were introduced to for like the first um, 45 minutes to an hour that investing or that unique to really drive the narrative that much at that point. Um, I do think by the second half, that's where like the Wheatley aspects kind of come in. If we're comparing this to something like his Rebecca remake they did with Netflix um, a few months ago. I certainly think this is more in the vein of what you would expect from the filmmaker. But I feel like by that point, it's also a little bit like too little too late. Like I think it's well enough to to make it feel like it's worth the investment, but I also don't feel like it makes it on the same level as some of his better works. But I would say it's like a, a like B minus effort for him. It's, it's a solid film. I, I'm not a fan personally. So, you know, you kind of mentioned he wrote this film and then, you know, made it during the pandemic. It is like, it does feel like a response to quarantine and lockdown. And the thing I do like about this movie is kind of the, the thing I was mentioning before where it's taking the, like the scientific thing and like merging it with these other supernatural elements. The movie I was thinking of, the John Carpenter movie I was thinking of was uh, Prince of Darkness, the 1987 okay. film, uh, which I think is the second in the uh, Apocalypse trilogy that he did. So before In the Mouth of Madness, after The Thing. And I, I like that film a lot because I think that film 
Well, I should say this. It's not a great film, <laughs> Prince of Darkness. Is that the one that uh, he did with Mark Hamill? No, uh, no, not Mark Hamill. Uh, Donald Pleasance. Okay, I'm thinking of a different movie then. I'm not as familiar with um, John Carpenter's 90s work, I'll admit. Um, after this is like, late 80s. Was it late 80s? Okay, I, I know like the last, like, I saw Escape from L.A. and then I saw years later um, The Ward. Mm-hmm. But the stuff in between there I'm not as familiar with from John Carpenter. Yeah, In the Mouth of Madness is 90s. Um, but of course, you know, that film is Sam Neill. But uh, right. what what I do what I do like about that movie it's not great as a movie because I think that the main issue with Prince of Darkness for me is all the exposition and that's actually something that In the Earth does a little bit better like there's exposition but I always felt like the characters were advancing like things were constantly happening mainly to Joel Fry's foot and uh, yeah. that that is another fun. thing I do like the body horror and this is cool I think Ben Wheatley is just really good at like merging genres in general yeah. He's just like able to take like a saw movie and then kind of like merge it with this like you know kind of uh, uh, off kilter last house on the left kind of thing. I I really do, there's like some characters that come up in here. The thing I don't like about this movie is the characters. I just didn't care about any of them. I found them unpleasant. I found you know unpleasant and not in a fun way. I think the main the two main leads particularly like uh, there uh, Laura Torchia is kind of interesting. She's like a park ranger character and. I remember, I remember liking her fine, but I found Joel Fry's character to be pretty insufferable. I, I found the Doctor character played by Haley Squires to just be really placid and uninteresting. The only, the only character that I think is like you could really tell that Ben Wheatley had a heart for and really tried yeah. to come alive was uh, Reese Shearsmith's character. Oh, for uh, sure. This yeah. like the loner dude. He, he yeah. was so interesting, and it, I just kept wishing that he was more of the movie, but he kind of disappears for a big chunk of it, and then. Right. I don't know. I feel like we I, we didn't get anything really satisfying with him. So I, I think, though, there there's so many elements in this movie that I really like. But as a movie, I was really I don't want to say bored with it, you know, because I wasn't that bored. I just I was pretty uninterested in what it was trying to say. So I kind of walked from the, the bad taste in my mouth. I walked away from it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I respected the individual moments enough to feel like it was worth the time and investment that I put into it. But at the same time, yeah, like I was saying, I don't, I don't think it really re- meets his um, other films, or at least his better films from his earlier work. Um, but I do think, like, there's stuff in here outside of what you mentioned that I do like. Like, I, I really enjoy the uh, Clint Manziel uh, score that they have. Like, it's and, fantastic. Um, Best thing about yeah. it, probably. Yeah, and I, I do agree with you that, like, the, the practical effects that they use in this, especially for some of the, like, courier elements of the movie, are really good. He's really good at, like, blending these, like, very unsettling images, but in a way that's, like, very darkly comedic. And uh, I, I think when he does get time to do stuff like that, he shines. But like you said, it, it does feel like there are moments in this where he really cared and came to life and was felt he felt very, like, animated as a filmmaker and other times where he's just like, okay, let's just get this so we can get to this point. And I think it's fine if you, like, you know, kind of brush through those as quickly as you can, but it just felt like the first half of this was a lot of, like, that type stuff, like, okay, Let's get this going. Let's get this so we can kind of get to the stuff later on that I want to do. And um, like I said, yeah. I think that stuff is good enough to where I'm able to respect the film and, and appreciate it. But I just kind of wish that was the, maybe the script was either a little bit tightened up or maybe that we had kind of more of the like goofy, freaky stuff that was in the second half in the first half, like kind of like building it up a little bit more. I don't exactly know uh, which would have made it better. But um, in either case, yeah, I, I thought it was fine, but nothing truly remarkable or anything if i'm hearing you right i mean i I, i'm kind of the opposite maybe because i don't like the second half of this movie i like the first half like leading up to and through the loner stuff i think that yeah i guess we we disagree there 
Yeah. I, well, what that I like about the great. first half is that, yeah, yeah, yeah finally. <laughs> I just find it like, uh, I, I like that it's more contemplative. I like that it takes its time a little bit more. It's not as on the nose. It's hinting at supernatural stuff, but it's not like hitting you with all this just out of left field, like this is what this movie actually is kind of fodder. So sure. yeah, I, it, it's a slower burn in the first half for sure. And it definitely yeah. for everybody, but I think it just, it struck more of a chord with me. So I, yeah. I, I'm like a really high C plus. I respect this movie a lot. And I did look at it as like, yeah, it's maybe it's like a B minus, but I think because I don't like the ending, I don't like where this movie ultimately goes. And I really don't like these characters. Uh, I think that's uh yeah, I kind of, I kind of go with the highest C plus personally. Uh, I'm a, uh, I guess admirable B minus on this. Um, I do, I, I respect the slow burn at the beginning and I, I do think that's true to his style. I don't want to make it seem otherwise, but, um, I, I kind of agree with you that I think maybe this, it was just the characters themselves that weren't investing enough to warrant that slow burn or that kind of like building dread. If maybe they were fleshed out or maybe I, I had more investment in those, uh, two protagonist characters, I might've been a little bit more, uh, sympathetic towards the first half of this but i think by and large like i said i think it generally works well and i certainly think for like a pandemic movie or a movie that was made during covid i think it stands out a little bit more primarily because like we were saying in a another review that we were doing that um i think movies like this that are obviously about covid but not um like addressing covid tend to work better because like i think the movies that are explicitly about covid just tend to be a drag (laughs) I mean, and they'll age better, you know, it's it's yeah. kind of like how Godzilla, it's not about directly nuclear stuff, but right. I mean, obviously it's reflective of the time, which is a big sure. difference and a good yeah. difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in that respect, like I, I found this to be more admirable than something like Lockdown or Songbird or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think by and large, like I said, it's kind of like B-level uh, um, Ben Wheatley and I, I, I don't uh disrespect or anything i think it's enjoyable for what it is but i would say go in with fairly modest expectations agreed agreed yeah if you're if you're listening and you're you find it vaguely intriguing yeah maybe check out a trailer maybe uh maybe just sort of like look at the uh, or look at some of the movies we kind of dropped there and if you have if you like those if you like john carpenter films and if you like ben wheatley this probably is a no-brainer i do like ben wheatley I, I, you know barring rebecca i think free fire was a really fun time so uh all right that is our mini review of In the Earth. I'm actually surprised how much we were able to discuss there. I, it was kind of coming back to me a little bit, but yeah. Sure. There you yeah. go. But let's start with our first full-length review of the week. Very excited to talk about this movie. Uh, this is another yeah. one you saw a while back. I hope you were able to remember a lot of it. I just watched it for the first yeah. time. I think it's a pretty memorable film, I'd say. Sure. Uh, let's talk about Monday. Chloe, it was really nice to meet you. And thank you for not being an asshole. Try not to be an asshole. Yes. You don't have your keys, right? You want to go to an island? I go back to the States tomorrow. You're going to miss this, right? You're in love with this guy. Let's be roomies. What's coming? Everything. Everything? 
Sunde is a film directed by Argyris Papa Dimitropoulos. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I was hoping you would know it. I, I was not even going to take a swing. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, he made he made another movie from a few years ago called Suntan. Uh, did you ever see Suntan? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen it myself, but his latest movie uh, came out at the Toronto International Film Festival last year. That's when you saw it. And it is with IFC Films, and it just got its release here in the States uh, as of, uh, I, think, I think, just a couple of days ago as we record this. But this is a film that takes place in Greece. It is kind of like a getaway romance film that turns into a different kind of film over the course of its runtime. It's kind of a long movie, too. It's almost two hours. And it centers around two people. Uh, one of them is played by Sebastian Stan, who is this freewheeling DJ. He's lived in Greece. Uh, he's American, but he's lived in Greece for about seven years now. And he falls into this sort of... Uh, whirlwind romance with a woman named Chloe played by Denise Goff. And we kind of see how their, you know, relationship sort of st starts as like a meet cute chance encounter and ultimately evolves into something pretty intense and pretty, I guess you said a the word there, memorable as the movie goes forward. I don't want to reveal too much about this movie. I did go into it not knowing anything about it. I didn't watch any trailers. I didn't even know the genre. I, I just started watching the movie. And it's kind of funny when you watch this movie not knowing the genre, I was feeling kind of tense in the first act because I was like, Ooh, what's going to happen? You know, like I didn't know if it was like a thriller, if it was going to be that kind of thing. Uh, ultimately, I was like, okay, this movie is like, basically a condensed version of the before trilogy but that's what i kept thinking of throughout this thing yeah if you put the before trilogy in like a blender and like mixed it up and like put some tequila in it that's basically what you <laughs> there got you go. yeah yes yes way way more sex in this movie than the before trilogy i'll also say that but yeah, I I will I will say will you you kind of prepared me for this film a little bit. You said that you liked it, but did, that it yeah. was getting a tepid response. You know, like not a lot of critics were yeah. really liking it that much. Some were, some weren't. Right. And you were curious what I was going to say or yeah. what I was going to think. I'll just get it out of the way. I really dug this. I'm <laughs> this glad to a, hear that. This is a good movie. I I and I I kind of have been looking into some of the negative reviews and seeing people's points and they're interesting I, I i see a lot of valid complaints about this movie sure and i think it ultimately comes down to what you're looking for in a movie is going to determine your takeaway from this movie and also your stance um either your cynicism or optimism when it comes to relationships might really paint where you land on this movie in my opinion but yeah will i mean yeah definitely go for it why do you, why do you like this one well, I also think that, I mean, I haven't seen too many negative reviews, or at least I haven't read too many negative reviews, but from what I remember from the festival, it did seem like your patience or your tolerance for the main characters is a big factor here. If, like, you just find yeah. these characters be completely insufferable and, like, annoying, um, which is understandable because the movie itself is pretty cynical about love and romance and stuff like that. And it, it's not afraid to make these characters fairly, you know, privileged, pompous people who uh, don't have a lot of um, uh, self-reflection, I guess. Uh, so, I mean, I can understand, like, if you if you don't find that to be a uh, investing time at the movies, I can certainly respect that and understand that. However, I found it to be, at least at the time, like, it, it just a, a good fresh uh, jolt of uh, romantic comedy, or I guess an anti-rom-com, because, um, you know, I, I did find these characters to be pretty entertaining and inspired like i said i mean I, I can understand that some people were taken aback by you know just how like 
um, um, laissez-faire, I guess they are, in terms of just, like, having sex wherever they want or, like, kind of just throwing parties whenever they wish and not really respecting privacy or rules or laws or pretty much any good sense or common decency in terms of uh, their Greece locations. But um, I, I, I did think the performances here felt very thoughtful and rich and i think this might honestly be my favorite sebastian stan performance i don't know if it's his best because um i think i don't know i i imagine like i tanya is probably like his best performance just in terms of like crafting a character and like kind of like uh allowing me to forget that i'm watching sebastian stan but this is the first movie i can think of where i'm like okay this is the charismatic guy that hollywood is seeing because i i just feel like with stuff like the winter soldier or like his role as the winter soldier and like all these other things he's kind of put it into like these um supporting character roles where sometimes he shines sometimes he's kind of forgettable but in this movie he he gets a star vehicle that i think really uh stands up to him i granted i haven't watched um falcon the winter soldier so i don't know if that that show is doing well for him or not but I, I do think this movie tends to work for him, and I do think he has pretty uh, instantaneous chemistry with uh, Denise Go. Is that her name? Um, it's either Go or Goff. I, I've been saying Goff, but yeah, yeah. I think it, it, hopefully either. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I just really appreciate that these actors, they seem to be, you know, very aware what they're doing and, like, fully committed to the bit. Like, they have um, very, like, liberated performances. Like, they, you know, not only just in terms of, like, uh, emboldening themselves, like, with nudity and, like, sex and just, like, you know, willing to allow these characters to be pretty repugnant people, but um, also just, you know, allowing themselves to be fairly vulnerable and uh, open up in these kind of bombastic and stylistic ways. And uh, like I said, I mean, I can understand that that might turn some people off that might find that might uh, not win everybody over. But by the end of this, I felt like the roller coaster was worth it. Yeah, they're, they're self-destructive. That's the thing. And I think some people Absolutely. will find the way that they're self-destructive, that's what they'll find repugnant, yeah. right? With Mickey, his self-destruction is like throughout the course of the movie, he just finds himself, like he feels guilt whenever he's happy. And I think that speaks to why I think you like this performance a lot more than the other ones. And I think it's because he's just more vulnerable in this movie. You know, like he's kind of vulnerable in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it's like comparing Coca-Cola to ribeye. You know, in this movie, it's way more raw. It's not as manufactured. It's not supposed to be also sweet. You know, it's you take uh, you take that Coke and you put a little bit of, um, <laughs> I guess, whatever, like uh, I don't want to use tequila in. again because I use that metaphor. <laughs> yeah, already, you already but, went there. Uh, well, I was going to say I would put some Jack in that Coke. But, yeah, I was going to yeah. say some Jack in that Coke, uh, maybe uh, slide him a line and just like this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But no, I mean, I think in this performance, I think there is very material difference. And it's it's weird because like the tone of it's not that heavy. Like a lot of this movie is he's just letting loose. He is just like experiencing life at the fullest. And it works for me because I can see what attracts Chloe to this guy in spite of her, of her better judgment. Yeah. And you can easily make a case for either of these characters being the the lead of this movie. Like it's such a great separation or a great uh it's such a great two-hander in that sense like you need yep. both of them but there's not one who really outshines the other in terms of like whose story this is i think Absolutely. with her 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 main thing in this is addiction like she is addicted to a lot of things uh she seems to be addicted to this guy you know right uh there's there's some stuff over the course of the film that she might be addicted to uh she might be an alcoholic uh she might be addicted to sex and 
she is with somebody who is wrong for her in that regard because he is very permissive and he just kind of like enables a lot of these behaviors that she has been trying to like bottle up. Yeah. And that takes it to the thing I like most about this movie is that it's exploring an age group that feels very new to me in terms of like people experiencing the ecstasy of their youth, but we're watching people do it in their 40s and or late 30s, I think. I, th- I think the movie kind of like sets them up as like I, very early 40s. I think there's even a line in the movie at one point where they mention like one of their friends is like 41 or something. Okay. And they certainly don't look very young. But I think that's part of the movie is that like, you know, like Denise they don't Scott, look old. They don't that's look the old, yeah. but they also don't, you know, they clearly are too old for what they're doing in this exactly. movie. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And th- there's this whole like that's another addiction I think they both have is to like, you know, f- maintaining their youth or holding on to their youth and she's able to do that by being with this guy and there's this whole subplot with a kid who's in the mix too and how both of them kind of need to grow up and i i I think there's a lot of interesting messaging here in that regard and i told you will like right after i saw the movie that i think this is a this is a great predictor of what it's going to be like when millennials you know, right now, a lot of millennials are in their like mid to late thirties. And I think a lot of us are going to be going through this when we hit our forties of like, I don't 40. want to grow like this Neverland mentality. Yeah. This is yeah. 40. Well, that was the yeah. Gen X thing. Right. But now we're yeah. kind of getting to the point where millennials are starting to enter that decade of life. And I like the idea of more movies addressing that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And I do think I can I, I understand if people like don't really buy into the characters, I guess. But for me, I didn't feel like they were like unrealistic to the point of like, like I couldn't buy into them or couldn't believe that they would exist. And like, like even though this is a heightened world and like everything is from their prism. So it's like everything's sort of like overly romanticized, like over heightened and like even like kind of having this like European background kind of adds that flair to it as well. But um, I also just feel like I could see characters like this. Like, I don't know if I'd want to spend time with them, but I could reasonably like imagine like seeing somebody like these two people at the bar, just kind of like over the hill, but like still trying to like, you know, rock out karaoke and like, you know, throwing back one too many drinks and just stuff like that. And, and I, I just think, uh, like I said, I think the fact that the, the actors like are really willing to allow themselves to, uh, you know, be in these characters and play these personalities and all their raw insecurities and also their like kind of charming uh, seductions and stuff like that is uh, just a testament to these two actors and also the director for, you know, clearly having a lot of passion and, and flair as, as a filmmaker in a way that, that doesn't feel overly showy, but does definitely give it a uh, good sense of uh, pizzazz, I guess. Yeah. He gets to have some fun meta commentary there because he names uh, one of the characters after himself. And this is, of course, the character who brings, you know, uh, Mickey and Chloe together. So there's like a little bit of, of a fun nod there. Clearly, he's trying to create, you know. Yeah. But I think I think what people seem to not be liking about this movie, it seems like people like the first part of the movie, which really does feel like a short film in a lot of ways. It has a very clear beginning, middle and end. And what I like about that structure is that that is that type of short film is usually what an entire romantic comedy is or a romantic drama. And you kind of called this, I think rightfully the anti-rom-com in that regard, because it actually goes further. It goes past the big grand gesture and actually is like, all right, let's take, let's see what happens next. Yeah. Let's happen. You know, after the post meet cute, the rest of the movie is like a morning after kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what I dig about it. And I think, you know, that's why we mentioned the before trilogy. The before trilogy is absolutely about that sort of thing of like exploring a relationship after the, you know, Hollywood romance of the first movie. And then like the the follow up 
in the like later decades and how all of that comes together. This yep. movie does a similar thing, but it's also using a, a kind of a fun plot uh, device kind of thing that uh, I remember from Master of None, the Aziz Ansari uh, show on Netflix, which it had a whole episode where the main character, he's been in this relationship with uh, this character for a while and this episode charts their relationship, but it only shows what's going on in the relationship in the mornings. So uh, it's a fun thing because you're just seeing what's going on uh, in the mornings. You never see what's what they're doing in the afternoon or the night or anything. Okay. And this movie's kind of doing the same thing with weekends. We never quite get to Monday. <laughs> you know, like the movie starts are yeah. like these different uh, sequences start on a Friday. We see what happens on Saturday and then Sunday. But then we don't actually see a Monday until toward the end of the film. And I, I think it's, I don't know. I, I just think it's kind of a fun thing. It's, it's a clear idea and uh, we don't, we don't get a ton of movies that I think are this frank and honest about relationships to this extent. Like we don't get them that often, you know, like this kind of before trilogy mechanic, they tend to have a lot of like extra stuff thrown into them, yeah. uh, you know, like genre films. It's just kind of nice to see a more chill laid back version of this sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. We're getting to a point now where like, we are so aware of like genre conventions and stuff like that. It's the point where we're kind of getting to this like meta point, but now we're at kind of a post meta point where it's like, we're kind of returning to like an earnest mentality of them, but also being critical of like the conventions of them. And I would say of the ones we've gotten at this point, this is one of the better ones at, at acknowledging like what people like about rom-coms, like kind of playing into that and allowing you to get invested in exactly. the, in that kind of rom-com formula, but also acknowledging that like, okay, like, we have to realize that, like, these characters are terrible for each other. They're not, there's no real happy ending here for these type of people being together. Like, the circumstances of it are just not going to produce a happy ending, and here's why. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 you know, it's it's not, like, the most original idea or anything, but I think stylistically it works here really well. Yeah, and this this feels like a 70s movie to me, you know? It, it has that same sort of, like, when the 70s happened, like, this it felt like directors were unchained. They were able to be like, all right, let's, let's really explore human sexuality on a deeper level compared to what we were used to, you know, able to do. And I think we're kind of hopefully getting some more of that with these kinds of movies. I mean, we, it, it seems like nowadays you can make a movie about anything you can show and do anything, but this movie I think does that with emotion and it does that using sex as a plot device in a way that does feel kind of fresh. So I, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like this is the best movie in the world or anything. It is still really long. There, there are some scenes in this movie that are very, very cringe. And, uh, there, there are some that I feel kind of overwritten. And I, I, I do sure. think there are aspects of it that certainly fall short and make it hard to love this movie more than like, I, I like it a lot. I don't love it, I guess, sure. if that makes sense. That's fair. So, and, and the side characters I think are very take it or take them or leave them. I, I think that. Oh, for sure. I, they're, they're really, there's no one who really makes an impact. I think that this movie just keenly focuses on Mickey and Chloe for the better and for the worse. So, But I, I still enjoy this movie quite a bit, so I'm a very strong, happy B on Monday. Uh, I I think I'm a little bit higher on it, but not too higher. I, I think I'll give it a low B+, plus just because, like I said, I, I think what I find charming about it, it, it really did take me. And like even though I saw it, like I said, at TIFF when I was watching a lot of good films, I just remember this one made a little bit more of an impact because it had that flair and that style. But also, you know, just felt like a pretty well-rounded movie in terms of like, like you were saying earlier, like having two characters that feel fairly fleshed out. This is a two-hander where it doesn't feel like either character is focused on like too little or too much. Uh, I think they're, they're able to find that balance pretty well. And uh, 
you know, it's just a a fun, rollicking, good time, but also has enough of emotional impact to stick with me. So, um, yeah, I think it's a solid time. I don't know how wide of an audience it's going to get. Um, like, I don't know, like, if people only know uh, Sebastian Stan from the Marvel movies, I don't exactly know if they're going to enjoy this, but I think it's worth the investment. And, and um, when you say cringe, do you mean, like, intentionally cringy or, like, stuff that like Intention- you were saying before? It- the party scene, which is intentionally cringy right. for sure. I'm not, you know, arguing otherwise, but I do think that it it goes a little bit too far. You know, it's it's trying to See, get a I reaction like out of me, and that that bugged me a bit. Well, I think it just tried too hard, and when it didn't need to. But see, I guess I'm I'm at a point now where it's like. If you're going to try hard, I'm not going to dock you as much, I guess, because like I'd rather see someone like try to do something like that and push the boundaries maybe a little bit more than they should, because at least they're like trying something. and It's a little bit more memorable than if like they played it safe in some regard and like everything else about sure. this movie is not playing it safe. So like I, I, I don't think it would make sense to to not push it to the extreme. Like I said, it, it just kind of feels like a tidal wave kind of film where it's like everything is to like the 10 or the to 11 or whatever and just like. I, 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 I actually I appreciate the movie for going that far and stuff like that. And I don't think it does anything like too graphic or too extreme that might like um, might turn people off in that respect. But I, I, I do appreciate the movie is willing to to make these characters pretty despicable in certain ways. Before we move on, I do want to mention because uh, we didn't talk about Denise Goff enough. Probably, uh, yeah. I think that I, I didn't love her American accent. It kind of made true. me wish they had just let her be Irish or British. Um, yeah, because we know she could do a great British accent. Uh, we she, we saw her in a Kid Who Would Be King, and she uh, she's the voice of uh, Yennefer in the Witcher video game, yeah. The Wild Hunt. And we both uh, we both made the same comparison without knowing it, that we think that she would be perfect for a Princess Diana yeah. biopic if that ever comes to be. I know she's a little bit older than Diana when she passed, but, it, you know. Oh, she could, she could make it happen. I think she could pull it off. I, yeah. I, I, I think if, if Hollywood doesn't do it in the next couple of years, they're being foolish. <laughs> I have to I have to agree with you there. But uh yeah, she's she's fantastic in this movie though and I think that, you know, she's she's just the chemistry between these two characters. I've seen some people say they don't have chemistry. And what movie I'm, are they watching? I know. I don't I don't get it, but I again, it, I think it just comes down to different people, different experiences. Uh, I think a lot of people are watching this movie and being like, "Why would she want to be with this guy?" But then I look at Sebastian Stan and I'm like, "Well, I mean, wouldn't yeah. you i mean let's be i mean honest. that's the thing too so like i don't know like i mean i'm a straight male so i maybe i'm speaking out of turn but like before i never really got it with sebastian stan and after this movie like okay i get it yeah i think you you messaged me as like he's a hunk yeah basically yeah, he's a hunk movie gets movie. that yeah. yeah he's he's uh yeah he, you want to you want to f with this boy um clearly but okay that's monday uh, a film that we both definitely enjoyed and sounds like we both recommend if you're if you're looking for you know an indie movie this weekend you know something that's a, a little bit off the beaten path i think yeah. a lot of, a lot of you will enjoy this one too i hope people check it out despite the rotten tomatoes score it's pretty low right it's like in the really? middle it's like 52 percent or something oh really well that like i said that i guess that makes sense because like i said i mean it got yeah. kind of a mixed response out of tiff and i was like like am i Mike on island here. Am I just seeing like something else in this movie that other people weren't seeing? So I'm glad you at least liked it. I I did find you're not you're not alone. It's not just me. It's not just you. I saw a bunch of other critics being like, "Y'all don't know what you're talking about. This movie is fantastic." So you know, it's yeah. just one of those things. I think you know, it's hitting people differently. Yeah, I, I think people will appreciate this one more with time or like with reflection. Just kind of like looking at it. Maybe. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would hope so, but who knows. Who knows indeed, but yeah, you can check it out right now for yourself. I think it's in virtual cinemas and uh, select theaters, I want to say. And uh, I did my part with the Rotten Tomatoes. I reviewed this for Awards Watch and I, I gave it the old fresh. So uh, okay. bumped yeah, it up to 53. Yeah, yeah, I did I did what I could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to our next film. 
Jacob's Wife. So this is a very, very different movie, but it's also got a lot of romance. Yeah, another uh, toxic relationship, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess different way, different way. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is a campy horror thriller directed by Travis Stevens, who uh, I, I don't know, I don't know if Tra- Travis Stevens' work. I, this might be his debut, in fact. Because, no, 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 no. I've never heard of him. Uh, he did Girl on the Third Floor um, before okay. this, I believe. Uh, I saw that one. I think I saw that last year, the year before, for my um, annual Halloween marathon. It's a it was like another kind of South by Southwest indie title that that got a lot of praise. But before this, before those two films, um, he was a producer. Like he's been producing a lot of horror movies and other like different genre movies. Yeah. And he produced this movie. Yeah. As well as this one. Um, he's been producing stuff for, I want to say, like 15 or 20 years. Um, and so he, he definitely has some experience, but he's been recently pushing himself as a filmmaker with this being his sophomore film. Right on. He also does the screenplay with Kathy Charles and Mark Steensland and Barbara Crampton, classic horror icon from the 80s, yeah, is uh, not not just starring in this movie, but also as a producer, uh, along with uh, her co-stars Larry Fessenden and Bonnie Ahrens. So this this uh, premiered pretty recently at South by Southwest. That's when you saw it. Uh, I was supposed to see it at South by. I had it saved in my queue, but I, I ended up having to prioritize something else. But I did get a chance to see it this past week. So this is another one that we're, we're you know, we're kind of talking about that I just saw that you saw a little bit ago. And uh, right now, I think you can watch it uh, on demand and digitally uh, as of a few days ago via Shutter, And it's being distributed by RLJE Films. And this is this is definitely a shorter film compared to the last one we talked about. This is only 98 minutes, so kind of a quick watch, and you know it, you can kind of see why it's a, it's a vampire movie, and it is definitely definitely harkening back to the Barbara Crampton films of the 1980s. You know we sure. kind of t- we touched on it, but yeah, absolutely a legend, and she she's been kind of having a bit of a comeback in recent absolutely. years too, right? And, you know, like people will remember her from like Reanimator and Chopping Mall and stuff. Sure. But she was also she came back uh, not too long. You know, you're, you're next. Yep. Uh, I guess that was a decade ago now. And uh, wow. she was in Dead Night and Little Sister. And she's been kind of like creeping back up, you know, creeping yeah. <laughs> into some more film roles. And I think this is this is a really great uh, stepping stone for her for her comeback, in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I have no fault with her performance. I definitely think um, her performance is the highlight of the film. And, and as a showcase for her, it, it definitely suits her well. As for the film itself, I have, I guess, more mixed feelings. But um, oh, that's a shame. I, I like this one quite a bit. But let's let's set this up. I, I, I mentioned Larry Fessenden, uh, another you know iconic you know guy. I mean, uh, not just an actor, but he's been a producer, a writer. He's directed films. He's, he's even been a cinematographer and an editor. You have seen this guy guy and plenty of things uh i think he was uh one of his big ones was wendigo for example and uh he also did uh the last winter but uh yeah so he is i think i don't remember the last his most recent film actually i think he, i think he did one a few days a few years ago uh but one one thing i remember him from um more recently than not was the horror video game until dawn which uh oh my gosh he, he was uh, one of the writers for that and i uh, absolutely killed it that's a fun video game i know you don't really play the video games yourself Will Ashen, but uh, yeah, if, if you were ever to play one, that would be uh, one I would recommend to you. But anyway, so this, uh, as I mentioned, is a vampire movie. It centers around this married couple. Larry Fessenden plays a pastor who is married to a very submissive kind of pastor's church mouse wife uh, named Anne, who's played by Barbara Crampton. And there is kind of early on in this movie, you kind of get 
that, oh, okay, it's doing the vampire thing, but from the angle of a horror movie about adultery. And that was the first moment I was like, yes, a horror movie that is not about grief. They're actually tackling something different. You know, we, some, some recent horror films have gotten, have definitely gotten into, you know, this horror film, like Relic, it's about Alzheimer's and dementia and, you know, but then, you know, Hereditary is about grief and Midsummer is about a breakup, right? Well, this movie is about adultery and how, when you've been in a relationship for a while and the opportunity presents itself to sort of like, you know, allow yourself to feel more alive or to revisit something from your past the, the sort of dangers, but then also the exhilaration you can get from that. And it likens it metaphorically to being a vampire, this like hunger for blood, this feeling like the, the person you want to be is rejected by your partner and maybe even by society at large. And I got a real kick out of this movie. It's gory. It's pretty, uh, it's not hardcore or anything, but it has some really fun twists, particularly with Fassenden's character. I was nervous about this movie early on because like I'm loving Barbara Crampton in this. She is coming alive on the screen, but man, this Fassenden is just like this boring vanilla pastor guy. I, I wasn't into it, but then something happens toward the like, early part kind of like early to the middle part of this sure. movie with his character that is so fun that is so off the wall and i dug this movie quite a bit but uh yeah why, why do you have some mixed feelings on it uh it's it's not like i'm like super negative on a film or anything like that like i said i think what you admired about the film isn't too far off from my own positives of the film and uh i guess for me though where i kind of diverge is that I think similar to how I felt about his uh, directorial debut, I think Travis Stevens is very good about like directing certain individual scenes. Well, like there's like a scene here where um, like she's at the dentist and things don't quite go as she expected. And I think he's good about like kind of like drawing out the tension and kind of like building up scenes like that. And then likewise, like you're saying, like kind of the more like outlandish kind of like gore heavy stuff. I think he is pretty self-aware and like making like those scenes just like as like absurdly b-movie goofy as possible but i don't think he's quite good at like laying the groundwork for those scenes um and i imagine you're going to disagree with this film but oh, i feel but i think like like towards the beginning of the film when we have to kind of establish the drab kind of like you know like mundane aspects of the film i think he he kind of uh he's not really good about pacing those scenes out to the point where it's like i think he can like i, I just feel like the way he visually communicates those scenes it leaves something to be desired. Like it just feels like he's kind of drawing the movie out to make it a certain length. It just feels like those scenes kind of play out too long. And it just feels like they don't have a lot of energy compared to those scenes. And I get like, that's kind of the point, but at the same time, it just feels like this movie really takes a while to get going. And even like the scenes where it's like, kind of like establishing the warehouse and building up to that point feels like it takes a long time longer than it should. And it just feels like maybe if they were a little bit more judicious with like the edits or like kind of building up, because that's an issue I also had with um, Girl on the Third Floor is that like things just kind of felt like they they weren't quite paced right or like they weren't they're playing out too long or that like he wasn't really giving it quite the flavor he needs to because he just kind of wants to get to like the stuff towards the second and third act where it's a little bit more poppy and weird and absurd. And, and like I said, I think those moments in this movie work fine. I just feel like. He just never quite finds that tonal balance in a way that makes the themes really stand out. And I, I feel like even the commentary itself is fairly uh, surface level at times. Like, I think there could have been a little bit more drawn out there with, like, the religious themes and, like, the idea of, like, you know, like, this is literally kind of playing tongue in cheek on the idea of, like, till death do you part. And I think that's kind of a fun concept. I just don't think he really gets a full lot of, like, there's not a lot there that I think that's uh, established or 
dive into beyond the surface. And I don't think it needs to like be super deep or super in depth, but I just feel like there's a better film that constantly kind of comes out here that isn't fully realized. You know, you, you kind of said the word goofy. I, I would say, I wouldn't use the word goofy. I would say that it's more comedic. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, there are some scenes that are just played to be a little bit more humorous than you would expect. But I think, I think the reason this movie works for me a lot more is because these two characters are so like when the movie begins, they're so repressed. And I think the reason the pacing worked for me is because it is such a gradual and satisfying buildup to them just sort of being unleashed upon this movie. This is definitely one of those movies where I think the characters are way, way, way more well-written than the story. And that can be difficult because I can understand where you're coming from with like the groundwork for the movie and how certain scenes kind of don't always go in directions that are all that interesting in some ways. But I think it totally works because I think Crampton and Fessenden are just so good at this. I think they take these kind of ho-hum characters and their performances like like add an extra dimension to them, in my opinion. I, I think, too, like what Stevens gets right here is he totally, totally gets how to get across visually what these characters are feeling without having to really say anything all that much. I guess I disagree with you there. Oh my gosh. I, I think the editing and the the way that uh, we, we see like how dissatisfied with her life and is like through like um, a mont- a quick edited montage of like her, them brushing their teeth to, you know, them sleeping to like just this like early on thing. It, I, I think he absolutely nailed it. I got it. Like the, there was nothing else that needed to be said. So then when other things develop in the movie, I was fully, fully on board. And I just liked that it didn't beat me over the head with what these characters were feeling with dialogue. I think the dialogue here is very efficient and very economical. Sure. And I, I was into it. I, and I, I think the the actual violence and the some of the visual uh, atrocities are really fun and they're really like hearkening back to an era that uh it, it it doesn't feel gratuitous even though it kind of is well it is but i i think it, it's fine because it was building up to that and like it sure. was kind of playing it safe in the beginning it's just like okay now we can have fun like we can get we can have this moment separate itself from the beginning of it so i don't mind that it gets gratuitous with the violence okay but yeah it sounds like you definitely disagree though with uh the visual storytelling here I just think it's like fine. Like I compared this to something like nobody where like the movie's kind of trying to do something similar in terms of like establishing the mundane qualities of this like kind of ho-hum guy, um, at least the beginning of nobody. And like, I, I feel like that movie, like it does a similar type thing and it establishes the same kind of stuff, but it does in a way that's visually interesting and stylistic. And I just feel like this movie, I just didn't get that same impression. Like I, I get what it's trying to do. And I, like I said, I appreciate that, but um, I just found it to be pretty drawn out and it just didn't really f- find it to be, I guess, as interesting. Cause like you said, the characters themselves aren't super well developed beyond like the surface. So it just didn't really feel like, like I, I, I agree with you that the performances are good about making us a little bit more dynamic. And I think they have a lot of fun when they kind of are able to be emboldened in the second half. But I just feel like, I don't know, maybe a meteor script would have made this a little bit more satisfying. I, I don't know if that's that might be where we disagree. I just, I like that it didn't take itself too seriously with, you know, anything regarding realism. It just allowed itself to be campy and over the top. And See, that's where I guess we disagree. Because I, I want it to be campier. I want it to be like campier and weirder than it is. 
I think if it had been any campier than it already was, the stakes wouldn't have felt <laughs> right. Stakes. I think that we wouldn't have felt like anything bad could go wrong. It would have just been sort of like a farce the rest of the movie. But it is basically a farce. I don't think so, because I'm talking about the stakes in terms of like not just their lives, but the fragility of their relationship and their marriage. Sure. Like I, we do we get to a point where that's what I'm more worried about, which is weird because I don't like the pastor guy for a long time in this movie. But okay. then I gradually kind of warmed up to him to a, a bit. But then I started to hate him again. But that's that's where I think the stakes were of like, could this relationship work? Is that why I'm liking these two characters? And I think that the ending is perfect because it doesn't well, I like it's not neat or tidy at all with that part of the story. Yeah, I have no disagreements about the ending. I just kind of wish it earned that ending a little bit more. Like, it just feels like, I don't know, it's felt like there's, like, some stuff here that's not quite as rich as it could be. It, I don't know if that just, like I said, if it just needs a stronger, tighter script or if it needs to be a little bit more fleshed out or maybe if, like, it had a little bit more um, consistency stylistically, it might have been able to pull that off. But for some reason, I just feel like it's, like, it's like two decimals away from working, I think, for my opinion. Like, it, it's not off but it just feels like something isn't quite there to make it click all the way into place. I think I think I almost I agree with aspects of that. I definitely like this film more than you do. I think that it's it I wanted it to be much better. Like I wanted it to be in like A tour territory as I was watching this. I wanted it to feel like it's Jalo, you know, sensibilities were more well-rounded and this could feel like a runaway horror classic in the making it's definitely not that it's just one of those movies that you can just kind of watch and just kind of get like a short-term visceral enjoyment out of if you're a fan of the genre right sure. and so that that's where i come out of it i don't look at it as something that's really lasting necessarily i think it's gonna right. be one of those movies that like oh hey you know like if you're, you're looking at this kind of movie, this is a solid recommendation that kind of thing and i my expectations too weren't super high so i guess that could be painting some of my you know positive positivity coming out of it i don't know i don't know i just feel like i I, my impression i get is that stevens is like he he definitely has something he wants to say here but i don't feel he's like super confident as a filmmaker at this point to really establish like stakes and tones and and to establish the really the dramatic um tension i guess that that should be building up in the opening moments it just kind of felt like, like I said, like it felt like this stuff was just getting kind of drawn out and it didn't really have a lot of pulp to it. And in some respects, that's fine. And, and I, I understand what it's trying to do, but I just feel like it's a lot of build up to a moment that I, I just kind of wish the second half of it dictated the movie more than the first. Kind of similar to In the Earth, I guess. It, it is kind of funny because I we were so sure that we were going to disagree more over Monday. You know, and I was not expecting us to be this far off on Jacob's wife. I, I was kind of expecting to not be that into it. I don't even think we're that far off. I, I mean, I met. I, I, I mean, I don't know what your grade is, but I have a good idea of what it is. I feel like we're mm-hmm. like, we're only like like one decimal off. I think. But. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I, from you, is hearing like this is maybe going to be like a C plus kind of thing, maybe a C, and I'm a strong okay. B. So, but you okay. Know, for yeah, go ahead. Say your say your piece. Uh, I'm between, like I said, I mean, I'm between like a low B minus and a high C plus in classic Will Ashton mode. Um, I think for me, it's it's a high C plus just because I just don't feel like it's quite confident enough to come together in a way that that felt like it was worthy of this um, concept and and the performance that we get from Barbara Crampton. And I also agree with you that um, Larry uh, Feinstein or Festin, Festin. Um, I forget Festin, sorry. Um, I, I I do agree with you. I, I I don't mean to undersell that performance. I I do think he does a nice job as well. And I do think when they are able to have some you know actual chemistry together, they they do kind of have a 
a nice little back and forth as well. But um, yeah, just I just feel like it's it's not quite uh complete as it is it, it just feels a little um impartial as it as it is in its current execution but i mean like you said i think for genre fans will probably get something out of it i mean it, it's designed to be like marriage story if there's like some vampires in it and um you know that's kind of fun and i i do think it's a good concept i just don't i just don't think it really comes together as well as i was ultimately hoping it would be i don't know if i can get on board with that marriage story comparison well that's what but she okay. said that's what barbara crampton said I was thinking, I guess, I was thinking more of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, personally, but... Right. I mean, I'm just telling you what she said. I, I mean, she's a producer and the actress of the film, so... I don't know. Going. I feel like that's just, like, marketing of, like, here's a movie you've sure. heard of. <laughs> Here, yeah, I mean, I one. agree. That's That's fair. my opinion. Yeah, I guess where I disagree is, like, sure, not all aspects of this movie are confident. I think you're right that there are certain aspects of the filmmaking that definitely feel like Stevens was maybe a little uncertain about how he wanted to bring certain scenes about. But I do think in the most important ways, it absolutely has a clear goal and a clear like handling of the, the the subject matter and i think that all comes down to i think crampton and fessenden are just brilliant together whenever they're on screen i think this movie does fall short when they're separated and uh particularly when there has to be interaction with other characters there's another vampire character who comes into play that's just kind of like does it's kind of half and half yeah. for me and there's just some some side characters i wasn't super invested in the cops the cops and then yeah. the like you know the like the burnouts who are just kind of like yeah. laughably just like i feel like they're trying to be teenagers but in the movie they look like they're in their 30s so it's kind of like the monday right. thing actually yeah um well that just kind of felt like i don't mean i don't know if this was intentional or not but it just kind of felt like like whoever they had casted couldn't do it and then they're just like like points <laughs> yeah, yeah. to people in their crews like hey could you pull off playing teenagers like i don't know it's like oh We'll figure it out. <laughs> no one's going to care. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a vampire movie. Like, it's fine. Um, but no, I, I really dug it. So I, I'm a, you know, I'm a strong B. I think that it's a, for what it is, I think if you go into it looking for this kind of movie, you're going to get this kind of movie. And there's some nice surprises too. So I definitely sure. recommend it. I, I don't mean to come off too negative. I, I think, you know, it's an indie film and I, I respect the hustle and I appreciate what they're trying to do. I just feel like maybe my expectations weren't quite met here. So that left me feeling like, uh, a better film was not made, unfortunately. I would have thought that you would have bumped this like a full letter grade just for the scene where the rats devour an entire person. <laughs> sure. I mean, that stuff's fun. That's pure fun. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely stuff in here I like. Like I said, I mean, like there are at least like two or three scenes in here that I think are like exactly what they should be. Sure. All right. Well, it is, as I mentioned before, 98 minutes long. Pretty quick watch. And I believe you can watch this right now on Shudder. So Shutter? Give, it a, give it a look if you're interested. I think it's only on VOD right now, but it might be going to shutter later, but I don't know for sure. Possibly. Possibly, yeah, you might be right. All right, one last film for us this week. Let's talk about Arlo the Alligator Boy. This is a new hand-drawn animated musical film. Um, this is the first film directed by Ryan Crago. Are we going to do a film that doesn't revolve around two mismatched characters in a fraught relationship? trying to figure out their differences in a heightened scenario <laughs> uh i i think the the joke there is that this movie kind of does that anyway right yeah i'm, I'm um, glad you caught it yeah i was gonna say i was like yeah I, yeah um the, not 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 exactly a one-to-one -one with thunder force and some of the other netflix films we talked about sure. recently but sure you know you kind of mentioned to me that this is very much reminded you of uh, the spongebob movie the recent one the first Sponge one. on the run yeah and the new one i guess I, yeah, I mean, they are very similar. Yeah. Well, I think part of that, too, is it's similar to the SpongeBob, Sponge on the Run movie, 
that one really was more of like a launching pad for a new TV show, basically. Uh, so this movie uh, is kind of like well, an unofficial pilot, right? Yeah, this is def- definitely a pilot. I-, I feel like the stuff that was a pilot for the new SpongeBob movie was kind of like thrown in haphazardly. Like, I think they had a SpongeBob movie and they're also like, hey, can you like advertise this thing we're doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I-, I guess. Um, Just like kind of threw stuff in there for the sake. Right. Yeah, whereas this is this is more similar maybe to like Return of Jafar which was like one of the earliest cases of this where that was like a directed direct to VHS movie uh, sequel to Aladdin that turned into the, it was like the first couple episodes of the Aladdin TV show on Disney. So it, it is kind of more similar to that whole thing because it is like a standalone movie. It functionally works on its own, but you know, at the end of it, you're kind of like, Oh yeah, I could see how a series is going to come out of this. It's going to be called I love Arlo. And this movie, first of all, I, I want to, say that I'm glad hand-drawn movies are still being made. And yeah. I'm really glad that Netflix is one of the streaming services that is investing in that kind of thing. Klaus sure. was one of my favorite, favorite movies of that year. I think it was 2019. Uh, Christmas movie, one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. That's fantastic. And it's hand-drawn. And it's from the, the Sergio Pablos, the guy who did the Minion stuff. Sure. And I, I have to say, though, when I first saw like the poster for Arlo the Alligator Boy, I was not interested because yeah, I, I hate, hate, <laughs> hate the character design. He uh, just actually, looks I don't mind that. unpleasant to me. Okay, okay. You you compare this to Teacher's Pet. Is that what... I've been waiting to ask you this. Is it the Teacher's Pet thing because of the design? I think so. I don't know. I mean, because like Teacher's Pet, that was a movie as well where it's like, it's not a... I, I, this movie feels like, like you said, like it feels like a movie for a show that doesn't exist or like a show that like I wouldn't know about. And I'm like watching the movie of like, like the origin story of like characters I don't really know about. And that's kind of my experience with teacher's pet. Like it's like this big broad musical for like a show that I didn't really know much about as a kid. Like I was like kind of aware of it. And it's also like kind of a niche thing that they gave like a bunch of money to for a movie, which is kind of bizarre. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, like, it felt to me like you were saying, like, Spongebob meets Teacher's Pet meets, like, regular show. Um, like, it's like it's like kind of like an amalgamation of those three things. And I'm not, like, I'm not an expert on regular show, but I kind of had that kind I've of, never like, seen it. modern kind of ironic tone to it that's, that's kind of becoming prevalent in children's animation on, like, Cartoon Network nowadays. Sure. Well, I'm seeing a lot of love for this movie. You know, I'm not seeing a ton of like, this is the best thing ever, but I'm seeing a lot of, I'm into it. It's, it feels different. It's kind of nice that it's original and people really dig the music. We mentioned that this is a musical and I'll say, I don't think the music in here is solid. Like there's a few songs in here that I was humming. I was, you know, tapping my foot. Um, You know, there's some fun, there's some fun sight gags in this movie. Oh yeah. The thing, the thing though, that this movie kind of loses me and the reason I'm not super high on it, honestly, is the story... (laughs) It's just so yeah. been there, done that how many times? It All it is is it's this little boy who's an art, he's an alligator boy and he gets his I want song. He grew up in a swamp, but he finds out he's really from like New Shrek. York City. And yeah, it's like Shrek. But then it's also like <laughs> Elf where it's like, I got to go to New yeah. York City to meet my father. But then he goes on like a road trip so and he meets friends along the way. And it's about the, the family or the friends that you find. And Oh, really? Wow. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just so many, so many other movies. And 
I think it's such a shame because this movie has such a clear creativity with the types of characters, the the jokes it's making, the kind of how edgy it kind of gets in some place, at least edgy for like a kid's TV show. I guess, yeah. Not super edgy, but like, it, you know, it pushes some envelopes. I guess it just kind of like, it's good about like once everything feels kind of like placid or like kind of like familiar, it will just come out of nowhere with like a kind of pointed joke or like an absurd sight gag. It's just like, what, what yeah. the... And then just like, okay, well, that, that kind of, uh, you know, put a pep in my step, kind of like kept me <laughs> off guard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit more Cartoon Network than Nickelodeon in, in terms of yeah. just kind of the, the risks it's willing to, the types of risks it's willing to take. Like, for example, there, there is a character in here named Marcellus. And as soon as he came up, I was like, all right, here's Will Ashton's favorite character. Uh, I don't know if he's my favorite character. He was my favorite character. Oh, I thought you liked the, I thought you liked the toad or the, the frog. Well, that's the thing. So Jeromeo is the best character, but he's not sure. in the movie enough. And first, the movie should have been about Jeromeo and Marcellus starting a carnival um, in yeah. Coney Island. That that was, or like not Coney Island, but the seaside seashore place. Well, I mean, I think they they knew that Jer was his character's name, Geronimo. Jeromeo. Oh my god. Sorry, Jeromeo. They knew that he had too much star power. Uh, and they're like, yeah. we can't like, we need to establish Arlo. Like, we can't have them together because he's just gonna steal the show. Like, let's let's live, let Arlo have his time in the shot in, in the sun. They did the same thing that they did in Moana, where they they took the the pet sidekick from Moana. Like, but then yeah. they gave like in Moana they gave her the chicken over Pua. Pua just disappears, and then we're stuck with the weird chicken for the whole movie. And here it's the same deal. We lose Jeromeo, and for what? The the cat with a hoodie? I don't know. Yeah, I mean. I don't know that 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 felt like something that was like, I'm guessing that character is going to play a bigger role in the show. Probably, and yeah. I and I didn't really get her deal in this movie. It kind of felt like she was uh, shoehorned in. But um, yeah, like the same time, I I, I do kind of wish the supporting characters weren't kind of like haphazardly thrown into the movie. It just like they were just like, hey, you know, like you're not going to get these characters now, but once you watch the show, they're, you're going to love them. Well, my favorite part of this movie is when. Part of this movie, I forget that Arlo is even like this is his story, and we spend a lot of time with the side characters in the middle, where they're kind of shining, they're kind of doing fun stuff, and Arlo's just kind of like along for the ride. And sure. it, it was more jarring to me when eventually they're like, "Arlo, you're this incredible person. We've been through so much." I was like, "Arlo didn't do anything. Like he hasn't sure. really had a lot of hearts to hearts with you guys. He he has like this whole thing with Birdie, voiced by Mary Lambert. Uh, Arlo is voiced by Michael J. Woodard." And the, most of the movie's like heart is between them, but he doesn't really like, I, I don't know. I never really felt like the other characters were there for him. Right. It, it does fall in the formula. I think a little bit too much to the point where it's like, it, it's, it's expecting you to have these emotional stake in these characters because we're at this point in the film and it's yeah. like, well, I didn't really get to know you them well. So like, and I don't, exactly. I don't really feel like the, the characters are that developed at this point to really have that, that kind of commotional connection. That's what I was talking about before where I felt like, like these characters like knew each other well, like in the show and like we're mm -hmm. seeing their origin story and we have like that emotional background with them, like kind of similar to like SpongeBob and Patrick in the SpongeBob movie where it's like, like if you were just to watch a SpongeBob movie without 
watching uh, the show SpongeBob, like you wouldn't really like feel that much about the characters, but because you've you've seen them in all those episodes, you're like, okay, I care about their relationship, and it feels like yeah, like without seeing the show for this, I don't really have a lot of emotional investment in these two characters being close friends. Yeah, well, not to bring it too much again to the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, but it does that same kind of thing, right? Where like you get why SpongeBob and Patrick are close because they spend most of the movie together, but then when it comes time in that movie for Squidward and Sandy and Mr. Krabs to be like, we love spongebob like their whole deal with that in order for them to make sense of it out of somebody who might not have watched the show which doesn't make sense because spongebob is so iconic like people know those characters and everything but even that movie kind of takes an out to be like it's because of this thing at summer camp it's not because of the hundreds of episodes where they've had all these meaningful relationships we are aware of you know what i mean it's like if in like the avenger like if in avengers endgame they had like reminisced on like all of these things that we didn't even know happened with like between captain america and tony stark like they, they like reminisced that time they met at summer camp or something and you're like well, well wait like we, we you know you could have just reminisced about other movies we've seen i don't know it's it's very odd and again i do think that like the arlo and birdie stuff makes sense from a story level because like they have moments together they have conversations you can sort of see why they would have like a connection and birdie makes sense to me as a character but it's like you said they throw in all the other side characters sort of just as like a a precursor like a palette uh, or not palate cleanser, but like an appetizer, right? To a show that can have a bunch of different characters for Arlo to interact with. And it's, right. in that respect, it's pretty cynical in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. In that respect, I agree with you. In other ways, I disagree, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Okay. I do like this uh, voice cast. Uh, we have Jennifer Coolidge as one of the villains, which is really, really fun. Uh, Jonathan Van Ness uh, versus voices Felicia, this like furball kind of pink furball creature. Yeah. Uh, he's fantastic <laughs> like as a voice actor. Um, and then, yeah, Tony Hale, uh, who I didn't know was the voice of the teeny tiny Tony. Character. Oh, you didn't know that? I didn't know that until I saw the credits. I, uh, I was like, who is that? Yeah. I caught it pretty early on. Um, Jonathan Van Ness was the one I was, I was trying to point. I was like... He sounds familiar, but I don't mm -hmm. quite get the voice. Also, uh, Annie Potts uh, voices Arlo's mother, uh, Edme, the adoptive mother, of course. So, yeah, it's a good voice cast, too. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, if they're going to be able to, like, maintain that voice cast for the show. I assume they are. But, you know, you never know, right? I th things have changed with streaming. It used to be that, like, you have the, like, the big movie, the How to Train Your Dragon with, like, Gerard Butler and, you know, all that stuff. But then when, yeah. the, like, the show gets made, they have to find, you know, like, a few actors who are sound kind of close, but not right. quite. Like, I think uh, Emperor's New Groove was kind of like that, right? Where, like, the Emperor's New School, they couldn't get uh, David Spade to be the Cusco. So they had to get, yeah. like, some guy who sounds vaguely similar, you know. But sure. they still had Patrick Warburton, obviously. Well, of course. I mean, who else could play Kronk? Nobody. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I do like the voice cast. I, I particularly like, um, is it Michael J. Woodard that voices Arlo? Yeah, um, and I'm not familiar with him, generally speaking. I think this is his first role, at least as a voice actor, I think. Um, I think it's I, him I, singing, I might... too. And Yeah, it is. Great vocal talent. Yeah, no, I think, I mean... And, and I think that's, like you said, I have to assume they, they went with like an unknown here for the fact that they could have that same voice actor in the show. And I think that's a wise choice. I think he brings a lot of heart and personality to the uh, character. And I think he does a lot of heavy lifting that the screenplay doesn't. I think his performance feels pretty earnest and sincere. And sure. uh, yeah, I, I actually, I think that's part of the reason why I actually did end up joining this film, if not to a great extent. I didn't enjoy it. I, I found it to be a bit of a slog. Um, I didn't really care about what was going on. and But I, I did have this feeling that 
I, I would have loved to have watched this with like my nieces and nephews in a movie theater. I was wondering I think, if you were going to say that. Oh, absolutely. Because like, <laughs> know, this yeah. is the kind of thing they would be into, you know, it, and, and look, we all know everybody in this planet knows that I love me some good animated films and it doesn't matter if they're sure. little, if they're young at heart, you know, if they're, if they're for a younger audience more so than they are for me, I yep. just, I find the general conceit of this movie to be so dry and plain and boring that I feel like the only enjoyment I would get out of it is watching it with somebody who hasn't seen a lot of movies like that yep. and just seeing them like, you know, fall in with the charm more than I would. That would be more of an enjoyable experience for me personally, but it's not like this movie doesn't have really great qualities. It certainly does. Yeah, no, I mean, when I was watching it, I mean, I don't, I don't always know what you're going to think, but when I was watching, I was like, I feel like this is going to be one I'm, I'm going to like more than John just because it had such a trope heavy plot. I'm just like, I know John in animation wise, like he, when, when a plot is this tropey, he just doesn't tend to like it, it gets in the way of his enjoyment. And, uh, uh, I, I figured that was going to be the case here and that's unfortunate, but that's fine. I, I do agree with you that like, because it is so kind of paint by numbers in terms of the plotting and just like, this is what we are supposed to do with our big movie for our show. Like it's supposed to hit this beat and do this thing. And characters are supposed to go from X to Y to Z. And like, you know, and I, I do find that to be tiresome. And, and I agree with you that it is kind of, um, cynical and in terms of the execution of it and it, it makes me think about the making of the movie and like what netflix wants out of it as opposed to just really enjoying the film and the characters and getting to like them and all that stuff but i i think there's enough here just like you said like for one the fact that it is a 2d animated musical film like we just don't get those that often anymore it does sure. feel like kind of a blast from the past in that way but it is interesting to me that it is kind of implying or it's it's uh applying these um Disney-like sentimental beats with a kind of new age, like Cartoon Network, ironic sense of humor. And I don't think it fully comes together, but there's enough of both here that I found myself endeared by it. Slug is not a word that I would use personally. I, I found myself pretty amused by it throughout, even when I wasn't, like even when I was taking issues with the characters and the story beats. Um, I guess the one thing I disagree with you is that I do like Jennifer Coolidge and I, I thought Flea gave I a like pretty- her. I said I like Jennifer Coolidge. I mean, I like as a as act. Well, what I was gonna say is that um, I like those two as voice actors, him, uh, her and uh, Flea. But I feel like those characters are like the most tired, like Southern stereotype kind of things. Like I just oh, found I those characters. Okay, yeah, yeah. I agree. No, we agree. We agree. I I like their voice talents, and I think yeah. that you know I liked all the voices basically in this movie. Sure. But yeah, I agree with you about the characters themselves not really being right. that entertaining. I just found. I mean, that was my biggest issue with the movie. Is that like they're just like the laziest villains yeah <laughs> like they they barely come into the plot they have like no real like threat to the They're characters team rocket you know, right like. yeah but honestly my biggest issue is totally different my biggest issue and i can't speak too much of this because it would be kind of spoiler territory but i think what this movie ultimately does says about forgiveness and abandonment is actually like really messed up i i think that this movie is just like Oh my gosh, it 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 undoes or unwrites a lot of like really I think traumatizing stuff. And you know, I I, I don't care about it too much with the sense that like I feel like kids are gonna watch it and it's just gonna wash over them. Like they're not gonna really pick anything up from it. But as an adult, I'm just like, man, this no. No thanks. I think that didn't bother me because I knew there was going to be a show and I'm I'm, I'm assuming there's gonna be a little bit more like narrative groundwork established there. Like they're just kinda like <laughs> They're wrapping it up in terms of like, here's like an ending for the movie, but I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what the show is going to be like, if it's going to be more like episodic and character driven or if it's going to be narrative based. I don't really know for sure. I, I don't want to assume either, but 
Um, I, I was willing to excuse that because I was like, well, if there's going to be a show, there's probably going to be more ground explored there. I, it just bugs me because I think this movie, it, it does have its heart in the right place. And I kind of similar to you, I don't think it fully nails the tonal balance it's going for or the type of the two types of things that's trying to merge here. The Cartoon Network edgy sight gag humor with the like Disney pop aesthetic. But that's, it's a good idea to try to merge those two things. I think there's absolutely a market for it, especially with this kind of animation that can can push the push the envelope a little bit. I'm totally, totally down with that sort of thing. It's just that's why the ending hits me so wrong, because like up until that point, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm with this message in the movie. I'm with what it's trying to say. And it's not that it it's terrible about it, but I do think that it it's so wishy washy with something that is definitely not an easy issue and they kind of treat it like it is. And there was something that rubbed me the wrong way about that. Again, I'm not like blasting the film over it. I'm not dropping it like a whole decimal or whatever over it. I'm, I'm kind of more canceling Arlo. I'm not canceling. You know what? Arlo (laughs) doesn't need to be canceled. I want to hear more. I I would listen to the soundtrack of this thing. That's how, that's how much I actually enjoyed the music. Mostly, you know, there, there are some songs in here that I'm like, whatever, but you know, yeah, I guess that's where we, actually disagree more is that like i i found the soundtrack to this like i i didn't dislike the songs like i enjoy them in the moment but as soon as they ended i just forgot about them entirely like i i can't like hum a beat for any of these songs or anything like that like i remember like the like visual like choreography of them but i don't remember the songs themselves they have completely washed themselves out of my brain well yeah i mean to be clear they're not the best best songs the and i don't think i could hum i think there's only one that i could uh, but like you, I did enjoy them in the moment. And I, I do generally like this kind of like poppy kind of music a little bit more. And I think they are trying to do something kind of like borrowing a beat from Hamilton a little bit for better or worse, like the Lin-Manuel Miranda, like not rapping, but definitely like a spoken word mixed with pop that it works for some songs a lot more than it does for others. I think the ones that it doesn't work are the slower songs, which I did not like at all. But I think the bop in this is more and more and more. That, that song and the reprise, like they actually, I think, put a ton of work into those to really make them feel alive. And so that's why I think for me, I can I can hum that song. Are you talking about the like the like the like main Arlo song that he like sings? The, yeah, the main Arlo song, you know, I, yeah, I don't know what you were humming there, but sure. I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember how it goes. Like, that's the thing is that like I I can like vaguely hear the beat in my head, but like I don't I don't remember exactly how the song goes or like what what the lyrics were. I'm too self-conscious to do it, but I, I can do Yeah, it's like more, more, more. It's it's definitely like a Well, thing. you've rapped in the show before. Yeah, but I had preparation. Sure. I had my I had a stunt team on hand. Yeah, you, we had a, you, you, you prepared for a week. You had, you we had, had a session. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. But okay, I I feel like I'm, I'm being a little bit harsh on this movie or harsher than you are, but I, I land on a C plus. I feel bad about it too because... It has things about, it's kind of like how you were with Jacob's wife, you know, it's like there are things about it I want more of in these kinds of movies. Like it it has like, it, it, I think that's what ruins it a little bit more for me. It's like, it doesn't need to be formulaic. It has the recipe for a really avant-garde and engaging timeless animated film, but then it just stuffs it with all this boring tropey stuff we don't need. So C plus for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like over the moon with this movie. I just found it to be an amusing kind of diversion for whatever it was, like 90 minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just I think I am more sympathetic to the fact that like I didn't know it was going to be a musical for one. And I didn't really know it was going to be kind of a uh, more cinematic than I anticipated. I thought it was just going to be like you were suggesting 
uh, more of like a direct pilot or like a pilot that they stretched out into a film. And uh, I, I, I found it by and large to be amusing. Like I said, like I don't think it really pushes any envelopes. I don't think it does anything that you haven't seen in countless other animated films or family films. But I, I do find the characters be kind of endearing and sweet. I don't know if they're enjoyable enough for me to want to watch the show. It's just simply out of my age demographic. And if it's not a movie, I'm just not – like you said, unless like I had like younger siblings or something that were watching it, I don't really see how I'm going to get invested in it. And I do agree with you that um, I, I think the fact that it is trying to set up a show does give it a cynical kind of under – or like I guess like a bitterness that uh, is a little annoying. It, it makes it hard to appreciate the movie on its own terms. But – by and large, I, I think it's sweet. I think it, it is enjoyable. I, I do find myself impressed by the animation and the voice performances. And I I didn't mind the character designs. I'm, I'm not quite sure why you were against them. I, I thought they were kind of inspiring. Just Arlo. I like, okay. I like all of the character designs except for him. Okay. I, I thought they were all pretty inspired and silly. And, uh, you know, it, they weren't like visually grading or anything like that, which uh, tends to be the case more and more with uh, CG animation. But, um, yeah, I, I found this to be uh, a forgettable and, and not necessarily outstanding anime film, but one that I enjoyed for the short amount of time that I watched it. I'll, I'll say Teeny Tiny Tony or whatever his name is. I didn't like his character design as much. I was like, ah, whatever. He, he's probably one of my least favorite characters. But Yeah, I mean. With Arlo, I... <sighs> The the thing is, I'm not. I don't need Arlo to be this like milk toast vanilla kind of looking character. I'm glad that they 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 swung, you know, they swung for the fences with that character design, and I appreciate it. I respect it. It's admirable that they were trying to make him just feel like very unique and different. But I just don't. It just you know, I respect the swing. I just don't think it quite works for me. I don't, I don't know. It's, he's very off putting to me. It's kind of like Teacher's Pet. I think that character design is really weak in my opinion but you know that we don't have to relitigate um, a 20 year old show or whatever yeah that that i think almost everyone has forgotten besides maybe us sure um, <laughs> and cory woodruff yeah cory woodruff who is apparently a big fan yeah yeah he brought it up with so, you yeah, so it's clearly yeah. clearly you're of a mind on that i i will say there, there are two other things i want to mention before we wrap this up i, I you you kind of mentioned it but yes it, it does look very cinematic and i think the animation here is really good we didn't speak enough about that probably I, I the colors and the just the motion the motion and the composition of a lot of different shots it's an exciting movie it makes it feel less of a slog than it otherwise would have for me and i know you didn't find it you found it to be pretty amusing and it's probably because i think it's just like a gorgeous movie and that's kind of why i, I wish that i had seen it blown up a little bit more would have been really cool to see this on a, on a huge screen where it just yeah. feels this world really feels more immersive than it did on a, a smaller screen uh, you know and yeah. that said uh yeah it's not the greatest animation in the world i still think klaus is definitely like the definition of oh, sure like you've never seen anything quite like this before you've seen a movie like arlo though when in terms of the animation i just think they did a really great job for you know but they didn't really do anything all that original or innovative with the animation to, to be super fair yeah, I mean, I guess because my expectations were lower and I just didn't really have much in terms of like expectations for what the animation was going to be or like what the characters designs were going to be. I, I guess I was more impressed by that. But I do agree. That, like if we're talking like, you know, top tier 2D animation, I, I don't think this one compares in that regard. 
the last thing I'll mention is, you know, we mentioned the music quite a bit. I do want to mention it's by Alex Garingus, who did the music with the director, Ryan Crago. And he, he's done a lot of music that uh, I'm a fan of. Uh, he did music for Voltron. And he actually, it's funny, he did music for Sponge on the Run. We mentioned that movie so many times. Forgot to mention that he was, uh, one of the, oh, yeah. I think, one of the composers for the SpongeBob movie. Um, okay if not the main person, I think, I think he worked on it, but he wasn't the main composer. Cause I know Hans Zimmer worked on it. Um, but he, he's worked with Hans Zimmer a bunch, um, on several things, but, uh, yeah, good music. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad, uh, he, he found, uh, he, he found uh, time to do this one because I know he's a very, very busy composer. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind the score. It just, the, the soundtrack, I guess was where I, I found it to be kind of forgettable. Well, he worked on the songs too, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, I don't, oh, both? I, don't okay. I wasn't, uh, I was more taken, I guess, by the score than the soundtrack. All right. And, uh, you know, I one last thing I'll mention. Uh, <laughs> so this was Netflix animation, but they also did this through a production company called, and I'm sorry, I have to say it, uh, Titmouse Incorporated. Okay. Which I mentioned to you while I was watching the movie. I was like, there's like a, like a thing called Titmouse in this movie where they had, it's like an Easter egg. And cause I had never heard of it before, <laughs> but sure. it's a real production company. Um, they did, uh, I th- they worked on a uh, breadwinners and, uh, I looked this up, uh, I think big mouth. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they've done some adult swim stuff. I'm just kind of surprised that they would show that in this movie <laughs> considering, but yeah, whatever. Eh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm no parent. I don't know if that's <laughs> unacceptable, but, um, it didn't bother me. I, I would not want a kid saying that word, you know, in, you know, in a public setting, probably kind of uh, awkward and uncomfortable for some people. But, you know, what are you going to do? That is Arlo the Alligator C plus for me. And uh, you said you were uh, B on it, right? I'm a B minus. Oh, I was also going to say they um, Titmouse also worked on Shirkers, which I know you liked a lot. Yes, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. All right. That's it for this week on Cinemaholics. Thank you so much for listening as always. We'll be back later in the week, of course, with some bonus content. Hope you all can check that out on the feed when it comes out. And for the main show, we aren't going to be doing an Oscars thing for the main show. That's just going to be for a bonus. Uh, I believe next week we're talking about Mortal Kombat, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, if there's anything else you want us to check out, as always, hit us up, email us, whatever you need to do. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter. All our social links are in the comment or in the show notes as usual. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week from the Internet California. I'm John Negroni. And for Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. See you next time.